Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 41 years ago yesterday, down 17 to 13, Joe Theismann had a ball batted up into the air and Kim Bocamper was about to pick six it for an 11-point lead late in the third quarter of Super Bowl 17. But Joe made the best defensive play of the day, save the day, but nobody remembers that. They just remember fourth and one. Uh, Joe Theismann joins us right now, <laughs> courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter, beat the books, download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. 41 years ago, Joe. 41 years ago yesterday. Do you have, do, I mean, it. like on a date, does January 30th hit you every year uh-huh. as this was the day of the year? Yeah, it does a little bit. Uh, you know, every now and then, first, of course, when you bring it up the way you did, it makes it even sweeter. But um, every now and then it does. I think of what we were able to accomplish. As a matter of fact, I, I just had a great conversation with Joe Gibbs this morning. Just hung up a little while ago. We were reminiscing about our season, about the games. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it does come up in my mind. How is Coach Joe doing? He's getting ready for race season. I mean, they're just uh, – they're – they're tuning it up. They've got Daytona coming up. And so now they're getting into their season. And, of course, you know, he's put together an incredible team. I mean, I don't know if people, you know, the young people, I think, in the Washington, D.C. area really can't appreciate who he is, uh, the type of man he is, the type of person he is, uh, the type of uh, leader he is. I mean, you know, how many people are in two Hall of Fames, the NASCAR Hall of Fame and Professional Football's Hall of Fame? And it has an awful lot to do with his ability to be able to communicate his philosophy, the direction he likes to go in. And, you know, I, I just love talking to him. All, we've, we've done this for 40 years. And, uh, you know, of course, our conversations were a little different when I played for him. There, there was no, uh, Joe, what would you like? You know, he would, we wouldn't sit in a meeting, Kevin, and he would say, well, what play do you like? It's this is what we're going to run, and you figure out a way to get the ball to him. And so that's that's what we did. Uh, today, there's a lot of I, a lot of conversation goes on to what people like. I played at a time when they told us what to do, and you figured out a way to get it done. <laughs> you know, I mentioned the other day, and you will remember this, but I'm, I want to know how you remember it because Washington. Obviously, I'm going to ask you here shortly about the coach search. Um, but when Joe Gibbs got hired in the winter of 1981 by Bobby Bethard and Jack Kent Cook, the collective reaction of the market was Joe who? Uh, exactly. It, 
And, and I think in part because we weren't really back then exposed or even interested to a certain degree as a media base or a fan base in coordinators like we are today. We weren't immersed in all of the coaches and we didn't know as much. But that was the you remember that as the reaction, right? Absolutely. Uh, for me, though, uh, there was I was ecstatic because he's San coming Diego. from San Diego. They throw the ball all over the place. I'm excited as can be. Uh, I saw the success that Dan Fouts had in that system, the Coriel system, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be wonderful. And, uh, of course, I almost got fired five games into the season. Uh, we were 0-5, and, you know, Joe had brought in a philosophy that just didn't suit the personnel. That was This is another one of his, his great accomplishments, I think, as a coach um, and, and as a leader of a business, is you have to understand what you're working with. Uh, you can't ask people to do things that they're incapable of doing, and you have to find a comfort level for the people on your team in particular to put them in the right place uh, and allow them to be as good as they can possibly be without the restraints of the position they're in. And it took us a while. I mean, I remember after we lost to San Francisco, oddly enough, I drove to Joe's house. I sat down, knocked on the door. We had, I said, Coach, we need to talk. And so we sat down, and I had restaurants and TV shows and radio shows. I was doing a lot of things in the city. And he said, hey, Joe, look, because I'd sit in the meetings, and, you know, we've all done this. Anybody listening has done this. You've sat in a meeting. There's, you know, four or five people. The person that's conducting the meeting is talking, but they're really not talking to you. Well, when you're the quarterback of the football team and the coach is talking and it doesn't seem like you and he are in sync, it's a little alarming. So I went to his house and I said, hey, coach, we need to talk. I got to figure out what's going on. And he basically said that, you know, hey, look, you've got businesses. You've got all these things going on. I want a guy that just wants to play quarterback. I said, Joe, I'll do this. I'll get rid of everything if you want. I'll get rid of all. But give me a chance before we have to make that decision. And from that day forward, we went uh, eight and three, 12 and one, 16 and three, 11 and five. We won a lot of football games. So I I think the meeting helped clear up the air between Joe and I, but also it really uh, ignited a change in what he wanted to do. We became a run first. I was converting first downs. And then he's a genius when it came to getting the ball in the end zone. But um, it it changed everything for me. But when he came to town, nobody really knew who he was. You know, I look at the pictures back then and young, this young kid, Joe Gibbs was coming into town with a philosophy that just didn't fit the personnel. All right, so we fast forward 43 years, and now the guy that was the hot offensive coordinator candidate doesn't uh, get d- doesn't come to Washington when there was some expectation that he might. He stays in Detroit, and there's a lot of disappointment. I- I'll just ask you generally, what do you make of the state of their head coaching search right now? I think I think they're doing a wonderful, thorough job on evaluating the people they want to be the coach of this football team. You know, everybody, you know, everybody wanted Ben. It's like, okay, look at what they've done in Detroit, but it's, it's what's going to be important is what your staff looks like. The head coach doesn't sit in the meetings, in the installation meetings. They, they come in, they sit down, but they've got too much on their plate. It's going to be what kind of a staff is put together around them. And I think Adams, you know, I love the fact that they hired the general manager first. Now both he and the head coach can work in sync together to build the football team the way they believe is going to be the best way 
for us to have success. So, but you, you know, you see candidates stay, you see candidates go. I'm sure he got a bump in pay. He should, because he was a hot item and probably will be a hot item next year. I don't see Detroit disappearing from what they've been able to accomplish. But uh, the other coaches are very, very qualified individuals. And, of course, it depends on what your interview looks like. I mean, are you impressing ownership? Are you impressing the people that have to make the decision? Uh, And does your philosophy adhere with what they believe has to happen for the football team to have success? So, yeah, Ben, everybody, you know, I I, sort of, you know, I listened to Brian Mitchell a little bit. Brian said, hey, look, what's going to happen is going to happen. Let's see, before everybody gets excited or disappointed, let's see who winds up being the coach. Dan Quinn is somebody who's met a fair, a fair amount of times. Dan took the Atlanta Falcons to a Super Bowl. He's a heck of a football coach. We saw what he did with the Dallas Cowboys defensively. So, I mean, you know, you've got, and then you've got ex, Aaron Glenn, heck of a football coach, did a heck of a job there. Uh, so, whomever it's going to be, whoever winds up being the head coach is going to be critical to figure out what their staff's going to look like. Joe, did you have any sort – first of all, are you being consulted? Are you a consultant or an advisor in this in any way, shape, or form? I laugh because I get accused of it all the time, Kevin. You know that. I know. It's like Joe, it's like Joe knows. Joe don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, but Joe has known in the past, but it was a different regime. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I really didn't um, – I – I was never, I never wanted to be, when Dan owned the football team, I never wanted to be a part of the decision process, never asked to be a part of the decision process. Um, I found out, like most everybody else, when something would happen. Um, but you always have a gut instinct. You always have a feel for a direction. I mean, I've been around this football team, like you say, for, you know, 50 years almost. Yeah. And so, well, I, 50 you know, years you, exactly. You, yeah, you really, get, you really get a feel for what, you know, what is the composition of the football team? Where are the strengths? Where are the weaknesses? Where are the things that need to be emphasized? Where are the things that need to be polished? Um, I mean, I, I love football. I study football every day. You know, I watch the shows. I read. Um, I just absolutely love professional football. I love everything about it. And it's a constantly changing environment, which even makes it more interesting and fun. So, but I have no idea. I have not been consulted. No one's asked me my opinion. Um, I think the I, the process that Josh and his group are doing is, I think, the perfect way to do it, to do all the analysis that you need to figure out the personalities of the coach, the philosophy of the coach, um, and go from there and see, you know, see if it can see if it's what you think is necessary for this football team to be able to have success again. Is do you have, let's just say that you were somehow involved and you were putting your two cents in uh, to the conversation, would you have a preference offense, defense? No, no, I would Why not? I would, well, simply because, it, you know, the head coach, whatever their, whatever their background is or was, uh, they're still aware of what's going on on the other side of the ball or the special teams. I mean, you, you know, you, don't, you just don't lock yourself in a room and just become completely, totally isolated. Um, I, think, I think a lot of coaches in the National Football League have aspirations to becoming a head coach. And so you have to be, I think, well-rounded. I think you have to be a good communicator. You have to understand people. You have to know how to communicate not only with your players but with your staff. Uh, you have to be a media person. I think there's so many different elements that go into that particular position 
head coaching, it's, it's, you know, you're a head administrator and you delegate responsibilities. You know, I, I tell the story all the time about coach Gibbs coach coach was incredible, an incredible offensive mind. Richie Pettibone was an incredible defensive mind. Wayne Severe was a, a terrific special teams mind. Each had their own strengths. And I think that's like, to me, it's what's your staff going to look like? That'd be one of the questions I would ask the coach. What's your staff going to look like? Who are you thinking about hiring? How does it fit into the personnel that we have right now? We're in a very unique situation in Washington, Kevin. You know, everybody talks about generational individuals. We are in a generational state in Washington. New ownership, new coach, lots of money, draft capital. You have those four things that very, very few teams ever wind up having at the same time. And so that's why the decisions, I I love the fact that they're taking the time that they are, that they're not hurrying to try and find a particular individual. They'll do their due diligence and they'll figure it out. I'm going to sidetrack here for a moment. Do you think that you, like from a communication standpoint, from a motivational standpoint, I, I just have known you forever as a fan, as a fan of the team, and as someone who's worked with you over the years, had you on the show so many times. That to me would be a no-brainer. But do you think you'd be a good delegator? Oh yes, oh yes. So, I do. I do. It in so my why didn't you coach? Now. Why didn't you ever decide uh, to coach? I mean, broadcasting maybe paid better for a while. I don't know. But why didn't you ever decide to coach? Uh, It's a great question, and no one has ever asked me that, Kevin. And the reason why I didn't want to coach, I worked for George Allen, who was a tireless worker. Worked for Jack Pardee, tireless worker. Worked for Joe Gibbs, who slept at Redskin Park three nights a week. And I just, and I'd I'd walk in in the morning, and I would see Don Bro asleep in in the meeting room. I'd look in Joe's eyes, and, and they were just like glazed over. They met till two, three o'clock in the morning, and then our meeting started at seven, seven thirty in the morning. I saw the hours that that went into being great, and I just I'd given enough up over the fifteen years of professional football. I didn't want to give up that many hours away from my family. Now, when it came to studying, and this is going to be interesting, you know, sidebar Tom Brady going into broadcasting. I put in sixty hours a week studying for broadcasts. I make my own boards. I do my own research, sit with the coaches, sit with the players. Um, that was okay because it was a, a limited time frame. But I just I saw how hard and how challenging it was for those men that coached, uh, and I just said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'd rather, get, I'd rather get into broadcasting. That's answer number one. Number two is by going into broadcasting, because I only played in, in one organization in the National Football League, our organization, played for Washington. But there were 31 other organizations that I was curious about. And when I got into broadcasting, I called it the keys to the football library. I had access to every owner, every general manager, every equipment man, every trainer, every player, every coach. And I, I had this insatiable appetite to learn about our game. And the only way that I was going to be able to learn a different organization was to be around them and to ask questions about them and to observe them. I can walk into a locker room in every National Football League stadium. I can go to a practice, and I'll tell you whether that team has a chance to be successful just by the vibe that you feel in that locker room. Do they care about one another? Are they in their own little world? Are they kidding one another? 
Are they studying? I mean, there's so many, so many things to observe. Um, I, you know, I remember I watched a great, one of the greatest pieces I've seen on athletes was when Steph Curry last night was talking about Patrick Mahomes and analyzing him in basketball. And then listening I, I to Patrick, yeah. Yeah. and then listening to listening to Patrick talk about how basically he plays the quarterback position like a point guard yeah. in basketball. Interesting. I mean, fascinating. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah, I'm sitting. I, I just got goosebumps. I'm so excited about the whole thing. Well, it's, I, I it's also be look. You you could play some hoops too. You were a good hoops player as a quarterback. It was to listen to Curry break down Mahomes. He's like, look. He just sees everything. Like, it's the vision, it's the anticipation, all of that stuff, which they're very similar athletes in that way. Yes, they are. And, Pat, you know, Patrick Patrick made the comment. He said, you know, people think I'm just sort of cruising around out there. Just It doesn't look like I'm moving, but I'm actually moving. But I have a chance to see things. That's the way I felt when I, when I used to break a huddle. And I used to break, you know, um, the pocket. You know, you, you have to move at a fast enough speed to stay ahead of everybody, but you can't be moving too fast that you can't observe what's out in front of you. We're talking to Joe Theismann uh, here. Uh, so um, we'll keep you posted. We're, we're looking, you know, at everything. If any news breaks, we'll have it here first. So wrapping up the, the coach search, do you have a preference or not of the of Quinn, McDonald, Weaver, Aaron Glenn? They seem to be the four that are left of the people that they've interviewed twice. I do not have a preference. I, 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 you know, um, I don't know them. I've, I've seen, you know, I've seen them work. I've seen their work, but I don't know them as individuals. And like I say, there's so many questions that need to be asked and answered by them to the people that are making the decisions. And I'm certainly not in a position to be able to choose one over the other because I just don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's like, I don't think any of us really know unless you're sitting down um, and a part of it. So, you know, you live here, you live in Tennessee. I'm just curious why you think Mike Vrabel didn't get as much attention here in this hiring cycle. Uh, You know, it's hard to say. I think they, I think they, chose the people they wanted early on uh, and, you know, started the process, you, you almost could have too big a basket, Kevin. You know, I mean, you, you really have to, you really have to pare it down to where if you have so many choices, it, it just confuses the entire issue. But if you isolate it to the people that you believe will fit into your organization, and maybe they felt that, you know, Mike wasn't on that list. Um, you know, there was Belichick going to, you know, people would say, oh, Belichick's coming to Washington. That wasn't going to happen. Um, so, you know, for whatever reason they chose the four, I think, I think every one of those gentlemen, um, would do a heck of a job. The question is, how is it going to fit in to the personnel we have and to what we look like going forward? Number two, overall, when we get to the draft, uh, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake may appear to be the top three picks in some order. Do you have a preference? No, I don't. They all bring something different to the table. Uh, Have you looked at them closely? Have you studied them? I've studied them a little bit. I've watched them play games, which is really, to me, watching them play games tells me a lot more about them than it does watching them at a combine. You know, what are they they bench pressing at a combine? Who cares? Really, I mean, the combine is just a television show. That's all it is. You know, know, how often do you see offensive linemen run 40 yards? Uh, Or, you know, are they going to lift up the building? They all bring, like I say, they all bring different elements. Uh, Caleb, um, 
watched him at Notre, watched him play Notre Dame, watched him a lot on USC was on TV a lot. Great athlete, great escapability. Um, I think every one of them is raw, being able to throw the ball against professional defenses. Um, Jalen, a terrific athlete. But, you know, I mean, you, you've got to be able, if you want to be successful in professional football, you have to have the ability to throw the football and throw it with accuracy and make good decisions with the ball in your hands. And, you know, I'll take you all the way back. Drake May, when he was uh, in North, at North University of North Carolina, before that, I shot a commercial for a company down in North Carolina, and we had some high school kids out on the field, and he was, he was the one out throwing around, throwing the ball around. And I said to him that day, I said, you've got a great future ahead of you because I could just see by the way he threw the football. Right. Now, I, I watched Zach Wilson at BYU throw the football. Right. You watch him physically throw the football, you're impressed as all get out. What happened in New York? Who knows? The game is, you know, the game is 85% mental, 15% physical, in my opinion. Almost every guy that puts on a uniform and plays quarterback can throw the ball around. But can you handle the pressure? Can you handle the mental part of it? Can you handle the intellectual part of it? Um, can you handle the pressure that goes with it? Those are questions that are, you know, remain to be seen on a lot of guys. Yeah, and, and another, you know, another answer, like with the coaches, a lot of that stuff we don't know the answers to because we're we not involved Kevin. in talking to the people in their lives and sitting down with them face-to-face. Um, well, every one of them, good. let me just say this, every one of them, fine young men. The, the thing is, is I think that we're almost obligated at two, if we stay there, we're obligated to take a quarterback. goes back to what we're talking about. The fans of the commanders are looking for the quarterback position, more so than who's going to be the coach. I agree. I think that if, if you if you if you which, take which an is more important, lineman, which is more important to the future oh, of this think, franchise, who they take at number two in in late April, or who they hire here in the next few days as a head coach? I think who they hire as uh, I think I think number one, it's the hiring of the coach. Okay. Close, close, close second will be the quarterback. And the quarterback position is one almost as of perception as much as anything else. You know, and, and you know, I, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were talking about Justin Fields in Chicago. What should, Justin, what should the Chicago Bears do with their – they got one in nine. Maybe they make a deal to move around. What should they do? And uh, um, Pat Kerwin made the, 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 these comments, and I was really impressed with it. He said – I would draft the quarterback number one. I would not, obviously, I would not sign Justin to a longer-term contract. I'd let him play this year. Bring the young guy in. If he beats him out, he beats him out. If not, Justin Fields is my quarterback. And if Justin Fields, and and now all of a sudden, you give a young quarterback a chance to be able to learn like Jordan Love, to be able to learn like Aaron Rodgers did, to be able to learn like... uh, Guys out in San Francisco have. Mahomes did in Kansas City. That's the way you do it. Now, Sam Howell will compete for a job. I'm sure, you know, Sam, Sam got the living daylight speed out of him, and that's one of the things, man. You play the quarterback position, people pound on you enough. It, it's, it, it's a bit overwhelming. He's a tough kid. He endured an awful lot, but he was running for his life a lot and just didn't even get a chance to get the ball off a lot of different times. So what will it look like? We have needs. We have needs in a lot of different positions, but I think from a fan standpoint, that one of the quarterbacks makes the most sense for us at that ticket too, 
like I say, if we have it. But I don't care about the fan standpoint. I don't think anybody should. I, I want them to do the right thing. Do you think the right no, thing is saying, to draft but, a quarterback? Yeah, any of those three would be. Yeah, I do. I believe the right okay. thing is to draft a quarterback. But I also think it has to do with our fans, too. It has to, it, you know, we're all fans of it. And I, I think, you know, foundationally, you got to build. You can't win without a quarterback, Kev. Bottom yeah. line, you can't win without a quarterback. If you have a chance to get someone that you believe has the ability have that to you take can them. develop, you have to take them. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, last one. Always generous with your time. So what's your first blush on the Super Bowl? You know, I'm, I'm gone. Well, being that being that what San Francisco's favored by one or one and a half, uh, yep. don't count Patrick Mahomes out. Uh, I think you know. Some, I like to look at the quarterback position and say, okay, which one of these guys is better? Purdy just doesn't get any respect. I'm sick and tired of hearing Mister Irrelevant. Matter of fact, Mister Irrelevant is is standing tall above two guys that are, were number one picks that aren't in it anymore. So, so much for that. Um, I think I think Kyle Shanahan's been chomping at the bit for this opportunity, especially after last year when he lost Brock. Uh, but Patrick is Patrick. Uh, I think he's going to go up against a defense that's probably one of the best that they've played. Um, but ball, isn't playing certainly. well. They got shredded by Detroit and Green Bay. Yeah. yeah, but on the other side of it, they played well in the second half. San Francisco played poorly in their first playoff game in the, uh, in the first half, then got their legs under them. Didn't play well against Detroit, but then all of a sudden, everything clicked and everything changed. And you know, you talk about halftime adjustment. Detroit helped out though, Joe. Drop passes, dropped they, interception. They you know, they they helped yeah, out. Yeah, they really did, and that's what you did. You know, Baltimore helped beat uh, helped beat themselves against Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Same thing. You, you you know so, but that's you know that's 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 the crazy part. You brought up the the things that are running through my mind. What's going to be that play that makes the difference? Is it going to be a kick return? Is it going to be a muffed punt? Um, right now, I would lean, if I was going to lean somewhere, I would probably lean towards San Francisco. But but you you would look at me leaning and couldn't tell I was leaning. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you just talked so much about the quarterback, which I completely agree with, and you're going to take the team that's playing Patrick Mahomes, who, Joe, let's – Let's be honest here. Through six seasons, he may be the best we've ever seen. Is that an outrageous statement or not? Not at all. Not at all. I think, you know, what, but, but again, I don't think you can talk about Patrick Mahomes without talking about Andy Reid in the same breath. You can't talk about Washington's three world championships with Doug and Rip and myself having the opportunity to quarterback our football team without talking about Joe Gibbs. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, you can't separate them. You can't separate the coordinator uh, from the quarterback because we're just an extension of what they're doing. Uh, I think Patrick is the best quarterback in football right now. I think he's been the best quarterback in football. doesn't matter what MVPs and all that other stuff are for a, a particular season. He's proven it at the highest level that he can deliver. He's unflappable. I think – you know this this game here is unique and different because you got two really really good football teams. This will probably be, albeit for Taylor Swift, the most watched Super Bowl in the history of Super Bowls. That's what I'm predicting, because just from a football standpoint, you've got everything you could possibly want, everything you could possibly want. You've got uh, and Spags did a magnificent job against Lamar and that offense in Baltimore, saying, "Look, 
we don't believe that you can throw the football down the field to beat us. We're going to make you throw from the pocket. We're going to bring pressure. We're going to throw lots of stuff at you. And if they do that with, if they do that with Brock Purdy and you get Christian McCaffrey one-on-one or you get Debo Samuel one-on-one, you're going to have problems. So I think Kansas City has to look at it just a little bit different than they have before. Last year, the Eagles-Chiefs Super Bowl was the most-watched U.S.-based television program of all time. It drew 115.1 million viewers. Uh, We saw what the championship games did. I think you're probably right. I think this is going to be... Uh, the one for sure. Um, Just take thanks. the ten. Take the ten. Take the ten percent that are are Swifties. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a big. That'll just, be it. That'll be the just, difference. That'll just, knock it over the add, top, probably. Add ten percent. And by the way, just uh, people ask me about this all the time. Hey, I think it's. I think it's wonderful. I like. I it think too. it's wonderful. She's it. a fan. You know. And and by the way, all those people that are haters, you haven't missed one play of no. <laughs> you haven't missed one part of football. So just let let the two of them have a good time, enjoy the spectacle, and uh, it's the Super Bowl. It's entertainment at its best. I mean, we get a lot of cutaways to celebrities and sporting events. I mean, when you're at a sporting yeah. event, we get a cutaway to you. Um, so, you know, a minute Look worth of cutaways to Taylor Swift is not impacting our ability to watch the game Watch, watch a Knicks game. Watch a Laker game. Watch a, Spike Lee. Spike Lee's on as much yeah, as anybody. Yeah, right. Good example. <laughs> yeah, perfect example. I think it's great. Um, I think it's great. Thanks, Joe. As always, appreciate it. Hope you're well. You too, Kevin. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, Joe Theismann, everybody. Tommy's going to join us next. We're going to talk about this Orioles story. Uh, He's been covering it. He's been talking to people uh, involved in it for a few years now. Uh, So for all of you Orioles fans, we'll do 10, 12 minutes on that, and then we'll get back to the latest on the coach search. As I mentioned, coming up next hour, Michael Phillips will join us at... 1235. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980 and the Team980.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. They got swept, the Orioles did, by Texas in early October, and it was ugly. I mean, three straight, they were the favorites to advance in that series. Um, But, man, the news for Orioles fans, uh, just like when Washington hired Adam Peters, euphoric. Everybody in Oriole land, very, very happy uh, with the news that the Orioles are being sold. Uh, Jumping on with us, courtesy of our BetQL guest hotline, is... 
my very good friend and co-host of my podcast, Tom Lavero, who, of course, writes for the Washington Times. You can follow him on X on Twitter, at Tom Lavero. So you, you know, we have periodically talked about this on the podcast. I, I'm just curious, were you surprised that that it happened and that the news came yesterday? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't we been waiting um, for sort of Peter Angelos to pass away and then find out what the children would do with the team? Well, here's what happened. In December, middle of December, Bloomberg wrote that uh, John Angelos was in talks with David Rubenstein to, uh, to, to sell the team. So talks were taking place. Bloomberg reported that in December. When I followed that up in a column, I wrote that what will likely happen is that Rubenstein will buy a minority percentage of the team, a significant chunk, sort of like Steve Bashotti did with the Ravens, with the caveat that in a couple of years he would have the the, the ability to take over full ownership. Like Ted did with the Wizards. Right. Similar similar to a situation like that. And that's pretty much exactly what's happened. Uh, David Rubenstein and his partner, they they bought, I forget, is it 40%? I think 40% is, is the figure. Of okay. the Orioles, uh, but as soon as Peter Angelos, you know, passes on, transitions, as the Wizards like to say, you know, uh, as soon as that happens, I'm sure the rest of the team will wind up being sold to Rubenstein as well. Uh, for tax purposes that I can't quite explain or understand, it makes sense for them to sell the team after Peter moves on. Then at this point, plus it's in Peter's will specifically that once he passes on, the team is not to be left to the, to the kids to run. It is to be sold. And do the, are the kids in agreement on all of this? Were there, I mean, I know he, what does he have? Does he have three kids or four kids? He's got two boys and two. they hate each other. And they hate uh, each John, other. Lou Angelo sued John Angelos and his mother about a year and a half ago. Uh, involving control of the Orioles, and that suit wound up getting settled, I think, at some point. So, no, I think Lou is involved with the law firm, and John has been running the team. But to be honest with you, from what I know about Peter Angelos, and I I know pretty well in his early days of ownership, if he were upright today, John Angelos wouldn't be allowed anywhere near that baseball team. Um. So is this the equivalent for Orioles fans, what it was for us when Snyder sold the team in July? Well, the the strange part of it is the Orioles are good now. I mean, John Angelos did get out of the way enough to let his baseball people through the teardown that they did. Mike Elias, the general manager, uh, and who came from Houston, drafted very well. And the Orioles, without spending money, have built themselves a championship team. I mean, their their best player maybe wasn't even on the team last year, and that's their number one prospect, number one prospect in all baseball, Jackson Holiday. He'll be on oh, the Holiday. team this year. You yeah. know, so they're they're likely favored to repeat as American League East champions without spending any significant money on free agents whatsoever. Their payroll is still very low because all their players are young. Most of their players are young, 
under under reasonable control. So what's different is that that's what the big difference is from what happened with, with Washington with the Washington football team. Uh, it, it's as if Dan Snyder had hired uh, had hired Adam Peters five years ago and then took a five year cruise and said, "Here, go ahead and run the football team." That's the difference. But it's still but, celebratory. Oh, it still is. It's still, you know, but here's the ironic thing. Most of these times, people are, the new owner is seen as a savior. Peter Angelos was seen as a savior when he bought the team at an auction in 1993. Uh, You know, Eli Jacobs, who was the previous owner and not well-liked. He was a Washington, D.C. businessman who seemed more interested in defense think tank issues at his baseball team. Uh, he was not well-liked. He had to put the team up for in a bankruptcy auction. And Angelo's outbid Jeffrey Loria at the time by $1 million at, an, at a bankruptcy auction to buy the team. And, and Peter Angelos was seen as a savior when he first got there. He started spending money on a team, uh, buying free agents like Rafael Palmero. And, and others, and uh, that was something new. For well, the they Orioles. went to the postseason a couple of years there. Yes, a couple of years. Yeah. So in the early days, Peter Angelos was considered a savior. So it's a phenomenon that happens. But but the ownership, the the issues that Baltimore fans felt and Baltimore baseball fans felt are very similar to what Washington football fans felt because Baltimore, like Washington, had a rich tradition. Yeah. Of championship winning, right? You know, and then it, it went into the tank. It went into the tank before Peter Angelos got there, just like it went into the tank in Washington before Dan Snyder, uh, you know, arrived. It had been down for for six years before Dan bought the team. It was a ten year period with the Orioles, but it, the cases are very similar. All right, Tommy's with us. Uh, by the way, a sale must be approved in a vote by. Uh, the other 30, by the 30 major league teams, 75% three-quarters vote, similar to what we just went through in the NFL, and that process can take um, several months. Uh, I'm assuming there will be, you don't see any issue with three-quarters of a vote uh, of the owners uh, for David Rubenstein. No, I'm sure they're popping corks as well, because David yeah. Rubenstein, uh, we don't, I don't know much about David Rubenstein except what everyone else in the public knows about him. He seems to be – he's very rich. He's a huge baseball fan. He's very smart. Uh, you know, he, he does these television He's a great interviewer. He's a really yeah. good interviewer. He does the interviews at the Economist Club. And yeah. He's written some books. So he's a pretty sharp guy. Uh, and from what I know about him, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who, even though he's a fan, will think he knows how to run a baseball team. I mean, he seems like the kind of guy who will like having, just be happy with maybe the best seat in the stadium night after night, you know. But uh, this is, I mean, there's no reason to think that baseball's not popping corks as well. All right, so the issue for the Nats now um, becomes what with David Rubenstein as the owner? There's the Masson issue, and then there is Rubenstein not being a potential suitor or purchaser of the Nats, which was in play for a while. Yes, it, it's complicated, and I haven't been able to to really clear it up yet. 
I think the Masson thing had come to some sort of conclusion for now. I think the Orioles had agreed finally to pay the Nats what they're worth. And I think that money, if not been received yet, will be received. Uh, but the, still, the Masson thing is just a, a nightmare for baseball. And it's difficult to believe that there won't be some kind of negotiation process taking place when the sale takes place to sort of dissolve this whole massive thing, even though it's an asset for David Rubenstein. Right now, David Rubenstein, if he buys right. a team, he owns the Nationals TV rights. Okay, but what complicates yeah. it, he was going to be Ted Leonsis's partner to buy the Nationals, and Ted Leonsis wants those TV rights. He'd love to get the Orioles TV rights as much as the Nationals TV rights. So, and I would, I would, I would add, and I don't know anything about this sale, but typically when something is sold, those agreements that are in place, they're just assigned, you know, to the new yeah. owner. It's not like anything, like all of a sudden, uh, the Angelos family sells the team, and it's a clean slate on, you know, regional <clears throat> television agreements. Yeah, that's going to have to be worked out because uh, that is def- that's an asset. Uh, for uh, David Rubenstein and his partner. And will Ted now, if he's still interested in, is he still interested in buying the Nats? Does he have the money now to buy the Nats? Because David Rubenstein has very deep pockets. That's right. Uh, You know, I don't know if that's easily replaced. I don't know if Ted's going to scrape the bottom of the barrel and pick up some more cutter money, you know, to buy the the, the Nationals like he did by taking – Giving them a twenty percent ownership of monumental we'll see sports how thing transitions. Yes, because that's what they do with monumental sports. <laughs> they transition. <laughs> Wes Unsell Jr. was transitioned uh, into the front yeah. office. And by the way, since he was, Brian keeps killing it. They're on a two-game win streak. <laughs> um, so, where do you think the Nat situation is now? The sale price reportedly one point seven five billion dollars, right? Or I'm sorry, the, the team valued for whatever uh, p- uh, part of the team was purchased at one point seven five billion. weren't weren't the learners looking for two billion or north of that? North of two billion, based on the valuation of a couple of teams that had sold pieces. Uh, in the past couple of years, the Phillies Angels. were valued, uh, and the Angels and the Rangers, all were valued well above two billion dollars in their in their in when they bought a new minority owners. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure the learners looked at that uh, those figures and said that's what we're shooting for. The 1.75 billion for Baltimore certainly brings that down. Uh, while the Washington franchise may be worth more. It's probably not worth much more than the $2 billion figure, period. And there haven't been publicly any real suitors uh, of note other than Ted at this point. I know that Mark Lerner has not wanted to sell the team, but he doesn't act like an owner who who wants to stay because the Nationals have been pathetic in their offseason spending to, to shore up the team a little bit. I know they signed Joey Gallo. Uh, to a one-year, five million dollar deal, but that's just that's just the best item at the thrift shop, really. And uh, so I don't know what's happening with the Nationals. I think uh, I think it's a point of dispute within the family. 
Um, you and I were doing the podcast shortly after the news broke yesterday on uh, Ben Johnson staying. And um, by the way, there is some news that I'm reading right now uh, from John Kime, and that is that Martin Mayhew, hold on, where is it? Um, uh, John tweeted out. Yeah, Martin Mayhew is gonna is expected to remain with the organization. Um, title, Nikki uh, updated it. So did John. Title role unclear. Remember, Martin Mayhew worked with Adam Peters uh, for Adam Peters in San Francisco for Adam Peters and John Lynch in San Francisco. So Martin Mayhew, who is at the Senior Bowl, um, Adam Peters is headed there. Eric Stokes was already there. Uh, Mayhew expected to stay. So any thoughts after, you know, our initial reactions yesterday on no Ben Johnson and now, you know, the possibility of Quinn or Weaver or McDonald or Glenn? Well, as I understand from reports, Mike McDonald is on his way to Seattle for a second interview. Yep, he is. After what After what Seattle has just been through with, with uh, Ben Johnson, do they not let Mike McDonald leave without an offer? Uh, you know, that's what would, I would do. Well, he was there yesterday. He was there yesterday, and now he's back for a second uh, yeah. day. They, they uh, no, they met in Baltimore. I'm sorry, on Tuesday. Um, yeah, they're bringing I, I him he, to Seattle today. Right, right. That doesn't bode well, I don't think, for for Washington's chances for Mike McDonald. You know, maybe they should have made that search committee a little bit bigger. You know, okay. maybe some more people. On the search committee. Well, I'll tell you what. What I'll tell you one thing that didn't work: just picking up the phone and calling uh, somebody and saying, "Who should I hire?" That <laughs> that apparently didn't work because if that one person had said Ben Johnson, then they would have had to develop the search committee well after the fact. Well, Your you know one what? Call. If Tommy person, Tommy if, thinks if, all you needed to hey, do hey. was just pick up the phone and call Mike Shanahan and say, "Who do you hire?" Hey, if if that person was Rick Spielman. That certainly would not be the right information, would it? <laughs> All right. Um, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for doing this. All right, boss. Tommy Lavero, uh, Orioles sold to David Rubenstein, uh, you know, former Carlisle group. Um, very, very wealthy. And I, I'm sure if you're an Orioles fan, you're thrilled with him buying the team and saying goodbye to the Angelos family. Uh, we'll do some Denton news next and then get back to – uh, the latest regarding Washington's coach search. Kevin Sheehan showed the Team 980. Hitting the news you might have missed. It's Denton's Daily News. All right, what else do we have in the sports world? All right, so uh, Ben Johnson, obviously, Kevin, decided to uh, to stay in Detroit. And lucky for him, because after it was announced that he was staying, Eminem took to Twitter to retract the potential diss song he was going to write about Ben Johnson should he leave Detroit. So Ben Johnson <laughs> really? not going to get He was going to write a diss song? Oh, my God. Instead of saying thank you and, by the way, best of luck, uh, for uh, th- that's unbelievable. Um, love Eminem. Uh, I think I love it was Marshall. largely tongue-in-cheek, but it would be funny. He okay. kind of became like their, their Taylor Swift. He was at the San Francisco game. Yeah, he was flipping he was the bird everywhere. to all the fans. I think Usher's happy Detroit lost. He would have immediately been the third most famous musician there, and he was doing the halftime show. So I think he's thrilled. Um, third most famous behind? Behind Eminem and Taylor Swift. Oh, I, I thought you, you mean at the Super Bowl. Yeah, at the if, Super Bowl, I, I'm yes, sorry. I yeah. thought you were saying out of Detroit. 
Um, by the way, you know, I was reading a little bit about Taylor Swift's, you know, upbringing and uh, her father was a huge football fan and Eagles fan. You know, she grew up in, I guess, central PA or somewhere. I don't know if it was Bucks County, which is Philly, maybe a little bit, uh, further, um, further west in central PA, but, um, it's not, uh, she grew up around football, people who loved football. Yeah, anyway. she was just never – her dad knew Andy Reid before her and Travis Kelsey met. I didn't read that part. Yeah, he's a he's a big football fan, so when Andy Reid was in yeah, Philadelphia, the two met there. Yeah. Um. Okay, what else? Uh, well, speaking of the Super Bowl, the uniforms have been revealed. The Chiefs are going to be in red. They have multiple patches on their uniform. Obviously, both uniforms have uh, the Super Bowl logo patched on there. The Chiefs also have an NKH logo patched onto their jersey for uh, Lamar Hunt's wife and then an AFL uh, patch to tribute to Lamar Hunt as well. So the AFC is clearly the home team yeah. if they're in red. Yeah, and the Niners are going to be in white. I'm trying to think back to the Super Bowl uh, four years ago. Um, well, if it was four years ago, uh, you know, it, then Kansas City was in red. Um, yeah, because I believe it's every they were other in red. year. Yeah, I believe they were in red I, that year. And Jimmy was yeah. in. I remember Jimmy in white when he overthrew Emmanuel Sanders. Right. Um, I like the 49ers white uniforms more than their red uniforms, and I like KC's white uniforms more than their red. I think I like, I think I like whites in general, the white jerseys in general. No, that's not true because I love the cowboy blues. I like the cowboy dark jerseys more than maybe any other jersey in the NFL. And same goes for the Charger dark jerseys. Okay, what yeah, else? The Chargers dark jerseys are way better than their uh, well, white the Char- jerseys. Chargers, you know, baby powder blues are the best. The best. Uh, history going to be made in the NBA. Steph Curry is going to take on Sabrina Inescu, who is kind of like the Caitlin Clark, uh, but less famous before Caitlin Clark in yeah. the first ever NBA versus WNBA three point challenge. I love that. I love that. And that that can, by the way, be a super competitive competition. Um, Obviously, an NBA team playing a WNBA team would not. Uh, but in a three-point shooting contest, uh, I'm rooting for I'm rooting for the WNBA to to, to pull it off. They could easily. I, I'll tell you, some of those girls can flat out. Oh yeah, they can shoot. shoot. Yeah, I mean, Caitlin Clark got to be in that next year too. Now, if they do this. The, obviously, they're going to be using the smaller women's ball, basketball, and the NBA will use the NBA ball. Yes. I think most people know that, right? I think I would, most people know that the WNBA ball is a smaller basketball. I would hope so. If you're if you're a basketball player and you're ever in a gym and there is, you know, the regular size ball and then there is a women's ball, you you understand how hard it is to adjust to that smaller ball uh as a shooter. It's even a ball handler. It's it's hard, but eventually you would get used to it. But anyway, what else? Yeah. Uh, all right, so I kind of mentioned this in the uh, the treading now last hour. Uh, the NCAA is in a little bit of trouble. They were investigating Tennessee a couple weeks ago. They they sent out a, a penalty for Ugh. Florida State. Well, now Tennessee lawmakers or attorney generals in the state of Tennessee and the state of Virginia are filing a suit against the NCAA, claiming that the NIL rules are violate antitrust laws. And uh, the last time the NCAA went to court uh, to battle that, they got a a nine nothing sweep against them, which. I mean, we don't need to get political here, but that never happens in court. They got nine nothing against them, so the NCAA is in a little bit of trouble. I'm I'm reading the story right now. It says, did you did you just say that it's not only the state of Tennessee, the attorney generals in 
ten, the attorney general in Tennessee, but the attorney general in Virginia as well. Yes, in Virginia too. Okay. Uh, man, that's just one of those programs over a generation, multiple generations at this point, that has had incredible success and then incredible turmoil. The University of Tennessee, by the way, that goes for both football and basketball. The most consistent winner, and I'm, I don't know if Pat Summit had any issues that were NCAA-related, re, uh, um, but that university athletically is, has never really, in the men's sports, ever really gotten to where I think they think it should be, their fan base thinks it should be, which is year in and year out, certainly in football, being a national championship contender. I mean, Heupel's done a good job there here recently. He has, but they are certainly not that. And remember, the the rumor was this was kind of like a joke, but their new quarterback, um, uh, Nico Eyes, what we're calling him because I still need to learn how to pronounce his last name, the rumor was he got paid $8 million out of high school. So that's yeah, probably yeah, not Where did he case. come from? He's, he's the California kid? He's the California kid. He wears pajama pants a lot. That was kind of his bit yeah. in high school. He's good. Yeah. He played really well against Iowa in the bowl game. I don't. I just when you. I, I mean, I can't imagine what an NIL you know infraction actually is. It has just seemed like over the last couple of years, it is the total wild, wild west. Anything goes, and they kind of you know didn't have a lot of structure around it to begin with. There were state laws that prohibited certain things and allowed certain things in other places. I, I don't. I still. I still predict at some point. All of these collectives that are out there, um, once you actually, you know, have a five-year return on investment, it's going to look terrible, terrible, because it is worse than the draft when you're paying young people. I'm talking about the high school people in particular, the high school athletes. Uh, it's a, it's much less than a 36, 37 percent hit rate on recruiting, and so you're giving guys. You know, money to come play there, and then four out of five times it's not working out. And then, by the way, they're a free agent, unrestricted, at the end of that year. They've already gotten the money you gave them, and now they're going to go get paid somewhere else, despite the fact that they didn't contribute anything in the one year they are there. At some point, you're going to start looking at ROI on these collectives over like a five-year period, and you're going to be like, we spent this much money, we raised this much money, we spent this much money, and 80% of the people we spent money on didn't produce anything meaningful for us. And that's going to be a problem. Unless the 20% that did contribute contributed national championships, final fours, and contention for uh, you know all of that. All right, um, we got a break. Michael Phillips at 1235. We'll give you the latest news on the coach search. We will open the uh, up the phone lines again. We did not get a lot to you, uh, uh, didn't get to enough of you the first go around. So if you want to call in and weigh in on Ben Johnson staying in Detroit and the idea now that Dan Quinn may be Washington's new head coach, have at it at 301-230-0980. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980, the Team 980.com. We're also free and live on the Odyssey app. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 